Welcome to Volume 6 of Divers Down, Chapter 8, Project Kahuna. Although Kip's friends tried hard to distract him from worry about the reception his plan was getting, it was a rough weekend. Julie put on a fine show of confidence for his benefit, but even her effervescent charm lost some of its sparkle as the hours ticked away. Ski pressured them into going into Honolulu, and Kip's entire group loaded into one of the buses that brought visitors to Sea Life Park. They began by taking in a movie. After the show, they roamed through the Waikiki district, bought souvenirs and window shopped. They ate dinner at a snack bar in the international market and wandered down the beach to watch the outrigger canoes. When the time came to return to Makapu'u, they found that the buses had stopped running, and they had to pool their funds to pay taxi fares. On Sunday, Sato and Susan arranged a surfing party at Makaha Beach on the opposite side of the island. Sato borrowed enough surfboards for all and wheedled George Yamashita into driving one of the center trucks loaded with boards, kids, food, and soft drinks. Ted delivered Julie and the group went surfing. Kip and Julie forgot the engineering competition in the sheer excitement of trying to ride the high surf. The difference between Makapu'u and Makaha surf was like the contrast between a beginner's ski slope and a steep downhill run. The group succeeded so well in tiring Kip out that he slept soundly. He dreamed, but he couldn't remember the dream when morning came. At breakfast, the loudspeaker blared, Willis McKay, report to the conference room at 8.30. Kip, Morgan, and Julie Scott, report at 9. By the time Kip met Julie in front of the office at 8.30, he was so tense that he trembled. He wanted desperately to win the competition, not only for himself, but also for Julie and his other friends. Willis brushed past them on his way into the conference room. He was completely confident. Don't sweat it, kids. I never hold grudges when I win. You can both work on my project. Kip and Julie ignored the remark. Vicky Lahoa joined them, and it was obvious that word of decision time had spread through the Makapu'u community, because she said, You two have half an hour to kill while Willis is in there. If you're definitely in perfect health, I'll introduce you to some of my friends. They assured her that they were both in superb health. No sneezes, no sniffles. Vicky led them to Sea Life Park. In Whaler's Cove and the Ocean Science Theater, she introduced them to a bottlenose, a spinner, a rough tooth, and a pseudo-orca a false killer whale. All porpoises. Last and most fun, she took them to a charming pilot whale who squeaked at them companionably and squirted water to show how pleased she was at having company. Kip was fascinated by the sea mammals and wished he could spend more time with them. The half hour was up before he realized it. He and Julie hurried to the conference room. Tap Pryor and Pete Jordan were in the room, but Willis was not in sight. Mr. Pryor saw their nervousness and put them at ease. Sit down, kids. You're among friends. Kip saw that both Pete and Tap had copies of the plan and that additional copies were stacked on the table, where a discussion obviously had taken place. There was another stack that must be McKay's plan. You know we planned this as a summer group operation, Tap Pryor said. Of course, the senior staff is available to help, but the best way to learn is by doing and the staff will not do anything the young people can do for themselves. He gave them one of his rare smiles. You're quite a team, Julie and Kip. 
Pete Jordan smiled too. I know you're pretty anxious about this, so let's get down to business. Kip, how would you expect to get the Ilakai back to Makapu'u? I don't have a plan for that, Kip confessed. You should have. Both the Westward and the Holokai could be used on the operation. You should have looked them over and decided how to handle it. Kip's throat was dry, and he had a sinking feeling in the pit of his stomach. He ought to have realized they would expect the plan to include getting the canoe home to Makapu'u. You stopped at the point where the Ilakai is on the surface, Pete went on relentlessly. I want you to develop it all the way, ending when the canoe is safe in its restoration area, which will be at the edge of the Sea Life parking lot. Kip looked up incredulous. Why would Pete want more planning unless... Pete continued. Julie, we want your preservation plan, complete with equipment, chemicals, and a cost estimate. Kip can do the engineering design for you. Yes, Pete. Okay, we will put your plan into immediate operation. Kip's voice wouldn't work when he tried to speak. He cleared his throat and asked hoarsely, You mean we won? Yes. As of today, Jimmy Clary is your administrative officer. We will give him a project number against which you can draw funds. You can use any or all of the summer kids. Fine, sir. Uh, uh, Pete? Kip still couldn't comprehend it. After those first words, he had steeled himself to accept failure. We'll finish the plans. Then will you assign us to the project? I know Julie is project archaeologist, but what do you want me to do? Pete and Tap Pryor looked surprised and then laughed. Kip, Pete said. I thought you were reading me loud and clear. You are project engineer. Incomplete charge. Project Kahuna is yours, boy. Kip could only look at him. Stunned. You didn't think we'd have somebody else carry out your plan without giving you a whack at it, did you? And Kip, stay away from McKay. I don't want warfare between you two. He's packing to leave, so he won't be around long. When we went over the defects in his plan and told him he'd lost, he quit cold. He could be mad enough to really start something. The news about Willis barely registered. Kip was still trying to absorb Pete's earlier statement. Now all you have to do is lay out the operations plan with a timeline for each step, Pete went on. Pick team chiefs and get them to work. Lay out a training program. Procure parts and equipment. Figure out tool requirements. Arrange for support facilities and supervise the whole business until Kane and the canoe are back home at Makapu'u. As Pete outlined what had to be done, a vision of total chaos with himself in the center swirled up around Kip. He wasn't capable of leading such an operation. He didn't even know how to begin. He started. Pete, uh, Mr. Jordan, I, that is... You can't thank us enough. Nonsense. You earned the chance with an excellent imaginative engineering plan. Now get busy on the operations plan, because time is short. On the verge of panic now, Kip let his hand be shaken by the Makapu executives, took the stack of plan copies from Pete, and turned blindly toward the door. Somehow he got outside and sat down hard on the koa wood bench on the office lanai. Julie sat down next to him, and she was smiling. Couldn't she see how impossible the whole thing was? Project Kahuna needed the direction of Pete or Johnny, not of the greenest kid in the Makai group. Julie said happily, Isn't it sensational, Kip? When he started talking about your administrative officer, I knew. I almost screamed out loud. 
She was so excited that she seemed, without doing so, to be bouncing on the bench. He could imagine how her expression would change if he said he couldn't do it. He could almost feel her sharp disappointment. Disappointment in him. He wanted to say it just wasn't right, but the words stuck in his throat. I'll need lots of help, he finally got out. Of course you will. Pete knows that. He and Johnny will help, and you have a whole bunch of smart, hard-working kids to help, too. And here come most of them. Kip's friends had gathered at the soft drink dispenser and apparently had seen them come out. They were hurrying over to get word. He braced himself. The first shock was wearing off, and he knew he was committed. He couldn't live with his friends if he refused the awesome job Pete had thrust upon him. He couldn't live with himself. He stood up to meet them. Ski demanded breathlessly, Why is Willis backing? Does that mean he lost? Kip nodded. He lost. We won. For a few moments, it was so noisy on the lanai that startled porpoises leaped into the air from the Institute tanks, and George Yamashita ran out and told them it was six months too early to welcome in the new year. When the group split up to return to their current jobs, Kip stood there grinning and watched them go. His hand was numb from being shaken, and one arm ached from the delighted punches of Ski, Chuck, Sato, and Tom. Kip realized the truth. For a moment, knowing that he was committed, he had felt terribly alone. But now he knew. It wasn't just his project and Julie's. It was theirs, the whole group's. The feeling of impending disaster gave way to one of anticipation. Let's get a Coke and celebrate, he told Julie. Then we better get to work. He spoke with new crispness and decision. The die, as old Jay Caesar had remarked, was cast. He had no choice but to do his best, and he intended to. As they walked along the driveway to the Sea Life Park entrance, a horn sounded. They stepped aside. Willis, driving the brilliant orange convertible, pulled up alongside. Kip tensed. Willis always made his hackles rise, and now with the competition won, he was ready for anything McKay might try or say. Willis was smiling, and it wasn't a pleasant smile. You've heard I'm leaving, he stated. Kip nodded coolly. We heard. I'm off to bigger and better things. You kids have fun, and don't worry about poor little me. Good luck with your project, Morgan. You too, Julie, babe. His voice was acid. Kip started for the door of the car, intending to shove that babe down Willis's throat on top of a set of knuckles. Julie grabbed his arm. She was glad Kip was ready to do battle over an insult to her, but she wasn't going to let him. Willis turned up the radio loudly, gave the car gas, laid a patch of rubber on the driveway, and took off. What a spoiled child, Julie observed. Don't let him upset you, Kip. Over their drinks, Kip simmered down and began to wonder what Willis had in mind. He had resigned from Makapu'u, but Kip didn't think he was going far. I suppose he plans to stay in Hawaii, Kip mused. For sure he doesn't need the job. He arrived with a stack of traveler's checks a half-inch thick. I imagine there's more where those came from. He kept trying to impress me with how much money he had, Julie agreed, and his folks are in Europe. He won't have to go back to the mainland yet. But what can he do, Kip? Raise the Ilikai by himself before we do? He'd need a serious pot of money to do that, Kip assured her. 
it would mean hiring commercial divers in an engineering ship. The Mackay gang would get word of it instantly if he tried to hire a commercial firm. Willis isn't stupid. He knows that. Well, let's not worry about it then, Julie said practically. How are you going to develop your operations plan? I'm not. Between now and tonight, I want to select crew chiefs for the parts of the operation and write down a checklist of what each has to do. General stuff like getting materials, working out procedures, setting up a training routine, and choosing teams. Each chief will develop his own plan. It will be our job to make sure that they all knit together and nothing has been overlooked. Tap Pryor walked through the dining room and Kip asked him anxiously, Sir, how about Umi? Wasn't he due back over the weekend? Umi's fine, Kip. I asked him to stay at Hana to help fix the equipment on a trout pond. I'm going back myself this afternoon and I'll bring Umi with me tomorrow night. He'll be hurt if we kept him out of action on the Ilikai. Even with Kane down there? Yeah. The Kahunas persuaded him it would be an honor to help rescue a Hawaiian god, so long as he doesn't touch the statue until it's been purified. Julie had joined them. Well, I'm glad. We all like Umi very much. So do I, Tap agreed. By dinner time, Kip had his list arranged, and Jimmy Clary had completed his first task, going through the personnel records and listing all summer divers and their qualifications. While Kip worked, Julie and Jimmy invited the divers to an after-dinner meeting. They also invited Pete, Johnny, and Tony Angelo. For dinner, Julie, Kip, Sato, and Susan got sandwiches and milk and took them to the beach. They sat on wave-smooth lava, watched the Hawaiian net fishermen, and talked about Hana and the luau. By tacit consent, they did not discuss the project. A few minutes before seven, they walked to the conference room and Kip couldn't help thinking how different it was from the last time he had gone to the beach before a conference, the night before assignments were handed out. Pancho Avalar drew him aside on the office lanai, and Kip saw that Willis's friends were clustered in front of the porpoise tanks. I won't beat around the bush, Pancho said. We all know there were two groups, yours and McKay's. Are you going to rub our faces into the slush now that Willis is gone? Kip stared at him, honestly surprised. For cat's sake, Pancho, with all the work we've got laid out, do you think anybody's going to worry about who's buddies with whom? Besides, I've been going over the personnel records. Do you realize that you're the most experienced diver we've got? Pancho had earned his living as an abalone diver, collecting and selling the tasty shellfish off the California coast. Between times, he had been a small-stuffed salvage diver, recovering things dropped into the water by yachtsmen at marinas. He was taking a night course in marine technology at San Diego City College. Tell everybody to come on in. We need all of you, said Kip. Inside, Pete, Johnny, and Tony were waiting. Kip joined them. Pete, I want to name team chiefs, have them pick teams, and let them work out their own parts of the plan. Is that okay? It's your show, Kip. We're here to listen. We'll let you know fast enough if you get off base. Kip took a deep breath. He was as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a disco. But Pete's smile was friendly, so he guessed he was headed in the right track. At Kip's request, Jimmy called the roll. There were 21 divers in all, with everyone present except Umi. I don't suppose there's anybody at Makapu who doesn't know about Julie's wreck and the statue of Kane, Kip began. And I guess you all know about the plan we call Project Kahuna, that it got the go-ahead. 
Jimmy has copies of the plan for everybody. As Jimmy passed them out, Kip continued. The idea is to build a frame around the Ilikai, put an aluminum cover over the canoe, fill it with foam plastic through the hole that Kane left, and float it up. We'll crane it aboard the Holokai and put it in a special wooden cradle we'll have to build. The slings will lift on the frame, not on the canoe itself, so it shouldn't be harmed. At least that's what he hoped. Getting it from the water to the ship was the most ticklish part. We have to have teams for each part of the operation. We'll also need four aquanauts to operate from the bubble machine throughout. One aquanaut will be chief of bottom operations, and each of the other three will be a team chief, with a co-chief working from the surface. Kip smiled a little wistfully. I've been sort of dreaming about being an aquanaut myself, but that won't work because I have to be free to move around. I'd like Chuck Reed to be chief of bottom operations. You just hired a hand, Kip, Chuck said. His grin was so broad it must have hurt his face. Another Habitat crewman will be in charge of the protective mesh and the plastic and the aluminum cover. Sato, will you take that on? Sato lapsed into pigeon. I take that Kino job, Kip. I always know you good howly. Okay, Sato. Ski, can you handle the pipe frame? Poncho, the excavation? Poncho nodded, grinning, and Ski let out a wild yell and jumped over a row of chairs to shake hands with the others, chanting, Saturate! Fabricate! Kai! Annie Bloom stood up. Pipe down, please. We want to hear the rest. Kip, how about the girls? We don't want to be treated like a bunch of delicate angelfish. We're divers too, and we can keep up with you guys in the water. Why can't we operate hoses and build frames? It's more skill than muscle. Julie looked at Kip, her lips parted expectantly. Pete had no expression at all. Johnny and Tony just looked curious. Kip saw that he would get no help from anybody. I'm not likely to forget that it was a girl who started this whole thing, Ian. All Kanes and Wahines start even, and the girls will have to carry as heavy a workload as the boys. He grinned. The only reason we won't have girl aquanauts is that their hairspray would clog up the air scrubbers. The boys cheered and the girls booed at this joke. Kip continued. We'll need some special skills. Are any of you besides Tom experienced photographers? Little Jenny Wong stood up. I was second prize winner in our regional underwater photo contest, and I have my camera. Good, Jenny. Tom, how are you with a movie camera? I've done a lot of cinema work, but all I brought was my still equipment. You can use the center camera, Pete offered. Good. Then Jenny and Tom will team up to give us documentary coverage. They both nodded, and Kip continued. We need a team to handle the urethane foam. Have any of you ever used that stuff before? Carol Burquist raised her hand. I filled the flotation spaces of our family boat with it last year. It's tricky, but not hard. Well, that's great, Carol. I was worried about the foam. Will you be team leader then, please? Red-headed Fran Duncan spoke up. I'd like to be the other team member. Carol and I can do it. That's fine, Fran. Anne, will you be our logistics officer? It'll be up to you to see that all the supplies and equipment are packed, loaded, and available at the site. You can pick your own backup man, or girl. Once we're on site, you'll shift to a bottom team. Everyone had accepted as Kip spoke. He turned to Tony Angelo. I hope you'll be safety officer, but I'll pick somebody else if you insist. Tony replied, 
That's one job that can't be delegated to a youngster, Kip. I'm your man. That was a big worry off Kip's mind. Safety was not a job for an amateur. Lives depended on a sound safety plan. Thanks, Tony. Jimmy will be our administrative officer, and he'll buy the supplies and equipment you need. Because he's not a diver, he'll also be timekeeper and recorder during the actual operations. Julie will take charge of bringing up Kane. Besides checking all plans to be sure they won't damage the canoe, she'll also be deputy project engineer. Now, we need every one of you. If you have a preference, talk to the team leader for that job. Team leaders will pick their own co-chiefs for surface operations. If you have trouble sorting out into teams, we can draw lots. Negotiating was already in progress. Kip waited. It only took a few minutes for teams to be arranged. Ski was the one who realized that Umi was unaccounted for and promptly claimed him for the frame team. Kip called the meeting to order again. We start getting stuff according to the supply lists first thing in the morning. Jimmy will give team chiefs a checklist from which to develop their own plans. We should have preliminary plans by tomorrow night. If nobody objects, I think we should meet for a short time after dinner every night to exchange ideas and see how we're doing. We'll have to work our heads off to make the schedule, but we'll have fun doing it, right? The room echoed with the enthusiastic response. A voice asked, Can we start tonight? Kip turned. It was Vicky Lahoa who had been selected for Sato's team. Sure, he replied. Why not train that pilot whale to handle wire mesh? We'd get the job done in half the time. Work did begin that evening, and lights burned late in the dorms as the kids studied the plan and began developing their own operational procedures. Umi returned on Tuesday night and pitched in, and the Ilikai mob worked right through the weekend. Kip had to help solve dozens of problems that were brought to him, and a few that he had discovered for himself. He reported daily to Pete and compared his team chief's plans with Tony's safety plan. On Tuesday, with the operation due to start the following Monday, Tap Pryor had to interrupt, to Ski's vast displeasure, by borrowing Umi for a day to repair a pump in the big trout farm Tap had established near Hana. Umi returned that same evening as the kids were reviewing training progress. Anne had just suggested that they spray paint the pipe sections with different colors to make it easier to select the right size under the water when Umi rushed into the conference room. E keep! Where that Willis go? For do Ahana? I see big Harley kid when I go meet Mr. Pryor, and for sure it is Willis. Are you sure? Kip asked urgently. If he's not Willis, he's his Kaku Akane, his own brother. He's also two more Harley kids. They go by me in taxi. Willis McKay gone to Hana. Gone to the Ilakai. <laughs>